T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Top of the hour is being brought to you by DuckDuckGo, Privacy Simplified, and this hour is being brought to you by Lakeside Bank. Ray, let's go. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Sox Machine. Josh Nelson, co-host of the Sox Machine podcast. The White Sox are going to need another starting pitcher to get through the 2022 season and the 162-game marathon. So Rick Hahn's work is not done. The Internet's longest-running White Sox podcast. What is their biggest concern right now? That Lurie Garcia is playing way too much. (laughs) Amen and hallelujah. SoxMachine.com. We're all White Sox fans here. I know this is the home of the Chicago Cubs. We're all rooting for this team to make it to the World Series. There's going to be some highs and there's going to be some lows, and it's all about trying to find that middle ground. Josh Nelson with Lawrence Holmes on 670 The Score. We want machine. Sox Machine. I really like the Socks Machine open. I was dancing. I don't know if you were able to see me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 the score, but I really like their open. Ray did a great job with it. This segment is being brought to you by Lakeside Bank. Josh Nelson of the Socks Machine podcast. He joins us on the weeks that Jim doesn't. In other words, Fridays at 1 o'clock are all about the Socks Machine. And Josh, I know that you have a chart that you would like to talk about. <laughs> So, welcome to the show as per usual. What's the chart that you want to talk about as it pertains to White Sox hitters? Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me on again. And uh, I wish it was under better circumstances. (laughs) This week's been crazy. But yeah, this chart. So, for those that are on Twitter, uh, I tagged it, uh, and it's being retweeted right now. And I think this is the most crucial part of the White Sox failures, especially against the divisional opponents. And this is the numbers for the White Sox hitters against right-handed pitching. There are five key stats that I look at to gauge on how well a hitter is doing and helps me paint a picture of why they are effective offensively or they're not effective. I look at weighted runs created plus, which is driven from the stat runs created and it's weighted. So 100 equals league average. That tells me if you're above or below league average offensively. OPS, that's on-base plus slugging. ISO is isolated power, so that's slugging minus batting average. Your strikeout rate and your walk rate. The White Sox across the board are 29th in baseball and weighted runs created plus at 70. So that says that the White Sox are 30% Lawrence below league average 
less the Cincinnati Reds. They are below the White Sox right now. The White Sox are last in Major League Baseball in OPS, and they are second to last in walk rate. So they are not hitting the ball well against righties. They are not walking against righties, and they're not hitting for power against righties. And when your offense is not scoring a ton of runs in baseball, Lawrence, as you well know, and everybody that's listening to this knows, your margin of error is incredibly slim. And this kind of calls back to like the 2015 White Sox team. Chris Sale and Jose Catana are pitching really well. They get no run support. And it breaks your heart watching these guys put in these type of efforts six, seven innings and White Sox are still losing games. And now that's my fear in the upcoming 38 games where I think this is the toughest part of the White Sox schedule in 2022 is that Lucas Giolito and Michael Kopech and Dylan Cease, they've been great. They have been great to start the season. We're going to see Giolito and Cease go up against the second-best offense in Major League Baseball right now. If they give up three or more runs, Lawrence, I just feel like the game's over. And it's over because this White Sox offense is not hitting a poor job again. They're one of the worst teams in baseball facing right-handed pitching. Is there a particular player that could do a better job against right-handed pitching? Oh, yeah. I highlighted him in this chart. Yasmani Grandal. All right, Lawrence. Uh, Taking the analytics cap off and just being a fan for a moment. Yes, what are we doing? Like a 24 weighted runs created plus against righties, you're 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 76 percent below league average against righties. You got a you got a two percent walk rate. Like what are we doing? Why are you not playing your game? Your game is working the pitch count. Your game is swinging at a 33 percent rate because you own the strike zone. You're a catcher. You should know what the strike zone is. You shouldn't be chasing pitches out of the zone and capitalizing and targeting the pitches that you know that you can drive, and you drive them. You're doing none of those things. Like, what is going on with Yasmani Grandal? If Yasmani Grandal had a 124 weighted runs created plus, we're probably not talking about the White Sox at 7-11. But instead... He's one of the worst hitters on the team against righties, and they can't have him be because he was one of their best hitters against righties last year, and he's supposed to be the most dependable left-handed bat that they got in the lineup. With so, Lords, it starts with, yes, they got to get him going, and he's got to stop playing the way that he's been playing against right-handed pitching because none of this makes sense. I wonder if there's a... I wonder if if what we've heard from inside of that clubhouse over the last week or so where there is been a question of our players pressing like I wonder if that's played into why we're seeing Yaz start off this way where he's like somebody's got to produce runs and maybe that means I have to go outside of myself and outside of the strike zone a little bit to try and make some things happen. Yeah, we've seen that in the past with Jose Abreu, right? where that's sometimes where Abreu gets himself into trouble. And you're not seeing the power numbers that he puts up because he gets into that mindset of, oh, my gosh, there's a runner on second or there's a runner on third. I have to produce. And then I hit these weak ground balls up the middle of the field. And sometimes it does drive in an RBI, but I'm out. 
right? I'm not getting base hits. I'm not getting doubles. I'm not hitting home runs. I'm making poor contact because I have to do whatever is possible to put the ball in play. I can't take a walk because if I do, I don't count on the guy behind me to produce. If that's Grandal's mindset right now, like I get it, but that's still not a good mindset. And that's not the type of player that Yasmani Grandal is. He's a low-contact kind of guy, but always high in slugging, and, of course, one of the best in drawing walks in Major League Baseball. He needs to focus on getting on base right now. And if he is being challenged by opposing pitchers, especially right-handed pitchers, then he needs to focus on what pitches that he can drive and drive them. I know the baseball is screwed up. I know the humidor is causing about 2 to 3% decline in distance on pitches that are barreled. And we're seeing that. What we think are going to be home runs end up dying on the warning track at guaranteed rate field. But that, that does not excuse the type of poor performance that we are seeing from Yasmani Grandal in the month of April. It's unacceptable. He has high expectations. He needs to start meeting them. If he doesn't turn this around, Lawrence, I really don't know what the White Sox are going to do. At no point in this season should Reese McGuire be a more dependable bat than Yasmani Grandal. What's a bigger issue right now, the White Sox bullpen or their defense? Defense. <laughs> and I don't know how it's going to get better. I mean, I guess if people get healthier. Yoan McCann is better defensively at third than Jake Berger. But Jake Berger has been better in the last couple of games. Having Luis Robert roam center field and moving Adam Engel to right field and then maybe A.J. Pollock going to left field, you've got three outfielders instead of two first basemen playing in the corners right now in Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets in left and right field. But, but speaking of Andrew Vaughn, you need his bat. You know, I mentioned all these poor numbers against right-handed pitching. Andrew Vaughn's got a 176-weighted runs created plus, Lawrence. He's 76% better than league average. He's got a 925 OPS. He's not striking out. He's got a 9.5% walk rate. Out of all the hitters against right-handed pitching, you need Andrew Vaughn in your lineup right now. And if you don't want him to DH, or if you don't want him to play first base over Jose Abreu, the only way you're going to have his bat in the lineup is in left field. So as long as Andrew Vaughn continues to produce offensively, you take the bad defense in left field, which is no different than talking about Aloy Jimenez uh, before this season. It's the same situation, but still need to see better play from Tim Anderson defensively. Reese McGuire dropping that ball on that pitch yesterday. I, I don't know what that was about, but I'd rather see Adam Engel in right field than Gavin Sheets to make all of the plays, not just some of the plays on balls hit to right field. So the bullpen, I think eventually we'll figure it out unless you're talking specifically about Aaron Bummer. But I defensively, <laughs> defensively, I think it's the bigger issue. All right, then let's talk specifically about Aaron Bummer. The ERA is is at seven, and yeah, it's only eight games, but he's been ball one consistently when he comes into games. They, I don't know if their bullpen can function if he's not lights out from the left side. It doesn't. Uh, let's we'll just say that it does not function if he is not lights out against the, your other lefty that you are counting on. Garrett Crochet needed to get Tommy John surgery during spring training. Your other reliever that's very good against lefties, Joe Kelly, is finally going to make his first rehab appearance with the Charlotte Knights tomorrow, uh, and he still may be a week or two away. Tanner Banks has been awesome. 
So praise Tanner Banks for the work that he is doing. Bless you, Tanner Banks. You've saved the White Sox many a times in these first 18 games. Aaron Bummer, to me, is pitching scared. He is scared to be in the strike zone. He is scared to watch hitters make contact. And I don't know if it's the bad batted ball luck that he went through last year that's causing him to be scared. The sinker is a terrible pitch right now, and it is not effective for him. And if you want to read more about it, James Vegan of The Athletic did a really good feature story today about the troubles that Aaron Bummer is having with the sinker and the adjustments that he's trying to make. We have noticed in the release point heat map on Baseball Savant, which is where all the StatCast data is stored and it's publicly available, that Aaron Bummer does not have the same release point on the sinker like he did in 2021 and 2020, where it was very effective. And when you are afraid of hitters making contact, you are nibbling, and you don't have precise command, so you're all over the place right now. And I don't know what it's going to take for Aaron Bummer to get over that hump. I think that's a great question when you chat with Steve Stone from his experience as a pitcher, kind of going through yips, living in the strike zone and getting beat up, and what you do to overcome that, because I don't know that experience. Only a professional pitcher has that type of experience. But until Aaron Bummer has more confidence in that sinker and in his stuff to live in the strike zone again and stop nibbling Lawrence, it's going to be stressful situations as fans watching him pitch if he consistently is trying to nibble on the outside corner because that's not really his game. His game is, here's my 95 to 97-mile-per-hour sinker, beat it into the ground. That That's Aaron Bummer's game. He's not a strikeout artist. Could the White Sox have done a better job with the IL this week with Robert and with Liam? It's, that's a good question. Uh, the whole Liam Hendricks situation is fascinating, where he supposedly slipped in the clubhouse between innings, and that's what messed up his back. And he goes out, tries to pitch the 10th inning, and there's questions raised of why did he pitch then. Uh, now, if you're watching that game and he doesn't come out in the 10th inning, we would have all been angry. Be like, well, where's Liam Hendricks? And then finding out after the game that he hurt himself in the clubhouse. With Luis Robert, it's a good question, but I look at it from this perspective, Lawrence. If you put him on the 10-day IL, who are you bringing up from to, to help you? There, there's really no help right now, especially in the outfield. I mean, the uh, hold on to Adam Hazley. Now, Adam Hazley's hit a little bit, again, it, when he's joined the Charlotte Knights uh, this week. He's had some big games offensively, but we saw him in the majors, and he's Charlotte in 2.0. He's not going to produce on the level of Luis Roberts. So I think it's okay, but if he's not playing this weekend, I think there's going to be some questions of what are we doing managing the players, like, why did you just have him take up a bench spot in the end when you could have retroactively put him on the injured list and then still had Adam Hazley or maybe called somebody else up so you, so you had a full team? Not playing with a full team during the regular season, you know, especially at this stage of the season, is inexcusable and poor management. But if we do see Luis Robert tonight and we see him through the weekend, then I, I think everything's fine because they just don't have a better option right now in Charlotte. All right, fair enough. What's coming up this weekend on the Sox machine? Hopefully some good news. <laughs> I blame you. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about how this series goes against the Angels. And then, of course, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, big days, especially for 670 to score. The White Sox visit Wrigley Field. 
Uh, both teams can have the same record, but I think the feelings on either side of the city are much different where I think Cubs fans are, are having fun watching this offense at times. I know that at times it could be a little stressful and angry, but there wasn't high expectations with the Cubs where the White Sox were World Series or bust. And in the next 38 games, if they don't turn it around, they could still be below 500 in mid-June. And those conversations get a, a little bit more dire and difficult to have when talking about the White Sox as the summer comes along. Yeah, you've been on that since before the season started, and you will be punished uh, if this continues <laughs> to be the case of what goes on. Make sure that you follow Josh on Twitter. He does a great job. The Sox machine is so great, whether it's the written work or the podcast. You are going to love the statistical breakdowns. At Sox Machine underscore Josh is where you can follow him on Twitter. These guys join me every Friday at 1 o'clock. You get all of your Sox information right here. Sir, have a wonderful weekend. I'll talk to you next time. Yeah, absolutely. I'll see you in the studio in a couple weeks, Lawrence. That is Josh Nelson of the Sox Machine, and we thank him for his great work on, on covering what has been rough sledding for the White Sox through 18 games. They're now 7-11. and 11. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the draft. The Bears have two picks at the top of the second round. We will talk with Emery Hunt of footballgameplan.com about all of that and what happened in the first round next here on The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Yo, Holmes! Lawrence Holmes. Holmes runs it really well. Noon to two. Holmes doing what Holmes does on Sports Radio 670 The Score. Yo, Holmes! And 670thescore.com. In Odyssey Station. You go into it thinking, okay, this is what we don't have. Like, I need to address finding a big body receiver, an X in the draft. Or how do you look at that on with some of the day two picks? Yeah, you're aware of it, so you're going to look for it has to be there and has to be at the right level and I think that's the, like the biggest takeaway is you can talk yourself into anything at this point that's why I'm not overcooking this board I'm taking a step back over to after today because I think sometimes you, you keep staring at it and you'll start sliding guys around and doing crazy stuff but in terms of being specific you just yeah you're looking to identify it but the key is making sure it's in the right value on the board 
I like the approach that so far Ryan Poles is taking publicly about the draft is sending people home and saying, don't overdo this as you're getting ready for the draft. Like we've got our ideas and we trust our board and we'll see what he ends up doing with picks 39 and 48 later on tonight. Draft coverage on the scores presented by Amco Transmissions and Total Car Care. Call 1-800-GO-AMCO for the location nearest you. Emory Hunt does a great job putting everything together for you that you need in a draft packet right there on footballgameplan.com. And he was nice enough to join me on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline, Circuit Resort and Casino out in Las Vegas. It's got the world's biggest sports book. Emory, thanks so much for joining me, man. First things first, what did you think of last night? Did it seem, as a draft expert, did last night seem as crazy as it did when I was watching it with between all the trades that went down and, and some of the things that we saw in the first round? You know, for me, the most intriguing part of the draft was the Kenny Pickett selection. I felt like that was the most uh, chaotic part of it because I, I felt like everything led up to Malik Willis being the guy considering you, know, you bring in a Mitch Trubisky to kind of be your stopgap so you don't have to push Malik Willis out there in year one. And you draft a guy in Kenny Pickett that may not be better than Trubisky. Like, what if he goes into that training camp battle and loses? So now you're stuck with a guy that's not better than the guy you brought in as free agent, and you drafted him in the first round. Are you going to bypass what you saw in the competition to give him the job? which will then, you know, just kill team morale um, in terms of, well, we're not playing a better guy. I just felt like if they were going to go with someone with a high floor, they should have gone probably with Desmond Ritter, who has the high floor, who's a, who's more athletic, has played in bigger games, has won bigger games, um, and has done more consistently over the course of his career. Didn't just have this one year splash statistically like a Kenny Pickett. So for me, that was the only surprising part of the first round. When I was watching a Lewis Riddick talk about Pickett, and I know Lou, Lou is also a pit guy, he was talking about, yes, his hands are small, but once you put him around the football, it doesn't matter. You're a draft guy. Have you ever seen anything like that? When we're talking about Kenny Pickett. His, his hand is small on a desk, but it's, it plays bigger on a football. Listen, and, and with all respect to Lewis Riddick, who does a fantastic job breaking down a game, but you look at the football, the NFL football is a little bit bigger. So now you combine a bigger ball, smaller hands, in those environments in which he played five years in, in which he had issues fumbling the football. That just is not conducive to him not fumbling the football as a pro player. I just feel like this is a potential problem. We've seen small hand quarterbacks have some success. Vic had small hands, but Vic also ran a 4-2, also had a rocket arm. Kenny Pickett doesn't have that. Joe Burrow has small hands, not as small as Kenny Pickett. Pat Mahomes doesn't have the largest hands, but at the end of the day, we're talking about someone that actually had fumbling issues in college. Also, if you go back down to the Senior Bowl, the worst day out there was that Wednesday practice where it was a torrential downpour. You know who didn't have issues fumbling the football? Malik Willis. You know who threw the football well through the rain? Malik Willis. You know who had issues fumbling the football? Kenny Pickett. So I just find this one to be fascinating from an approach of, you know, what they were looking for, who was there on the board, what they said they wanted. They wanted an athlete. 
Now, Kenny Pickett is not a terrible athlete, but he's not Malik Willis. Everything around what they said about this pick just kind of just just didn't make sense. Usually we see quarterbacks be overdrafted in the first round. How shocked were you that only one went in the first round? Not shocked because if it was me, the only quarterback I said I would have felt com- I would have felt comfortable with taking in round one would have been Malik Willis because he's the only one out this group that gives you upside in terms of you know that that star potential you know because of his mobility because he's still a neophyte in terms of playing a position and also because he has a cannon arm and he does a little bit something extra that would be the only guy I would take in the first round so I'm not surprised that only one went I'm surprised that that one went. I'm looking at the draft board now. If if I'm the Giants, I'm probably interested in Malik Willis. Does that make sense at all? Makes sense when you have Brian Dable who worked with Josh Allen, who a lot of people said Malik Willis' whole run up to the draft reminded folks of Josh Allen. His whole play style reminded folks of Josh Allen. Now, we'll see if the Giants, this is where there may be a difference between the Giants coaches, the Giants scouts, and the Giants' owners. The owners love them some Daniel Jones. So I don't know if they want to upset feelings by taking a Malik Willis who will be ready to to play because we've seen uh, Daniel Jones miss time each and every year he's been out there. So them going to get Terod Taylor is the perfect bridge quarterback for whoever's going to be their quote-unquote franchise guy. So, yes, it would make sense on paper if you're the Giants to, to grab Malik Willis. But knowing the Giants organization, I don't see that happening. Emory Hunt joining me here as we talk about the draft. Footballgameplan.com. The website is awesome. The draft coverage is amazing. Footballgameplan.com. What did you think of the Bears hiring Ryan Poles and then Ryan Poles hiring Matt Eberflus? I thought the Ryan Poles, you know, hire was was outstanding. You know, young guy, get us some young blood in there, someone with different sets of eyes, different, you know, perspectives, not not stuck in that old bias uh, mentality of guys that have done it for decades and now he's just bringing them in. You, just, you see a lot of recycling of, you know, shuffling of the chairs at the NFL level in terms of GMs and scouts and, you know, personnel decision makers, in some cases, head coaches. So I thought that was just phenomenal hire. I thought he was going to go with someone like, you know, Eric Bieniemy having that relationship, giving, you know, Justin Fields that type of offensive guy to work with. But Iberflus is someone that, you know, he felt comfortable with, and we'll just have to see how that plays out, in my opinion. So the Bears have picks number 39 and 48 in the second round. What types of players should they be targeting? And what's your list of needs for the Bears? I feel like Chicago needs impact players that can help you right away because you don't you miss that opportunity in round one. Um, so you have to really nail round two with a guy that can step in and play. George Pickens, I feel like they need a wide receiver, someone that's you know a legit stud on the outside, a bona fide dog on the outside. That's George Pickens. I feel like he can help Justin Fields. Um, I want to say they came in the same year at Georgia, which was just phenomenal. You know, that that tells you they, they have some semblance of a chemistry between one another. That would be the way I would go. Or if you're going to go offensive line, you, you always want to find ways to build depth up front. Their offensive line was a bit banged up. They didn't protect particularly well. Um, they didn't really run block particularly well. So maybe one of the better offensive lines, Bernard Raymond, could be out there for them, someone like that. I'm a big fan of Myron Cunningham 
out of Arkansas and what he brings to the table. So there's some some uh, opportunities there for them to get better offensively. Or you look at defense. You always want to get better at, at corner because you look at how the game is played. Uh, you, you think about someone like Zion McCollum out of Sam Houston, 6'2", 200 pounds, can mirror and match with the best of them, does a great job in, in, in playing press coverage, has great ball skills. You go back and watch a guy versus a guy in Christian Watson, another target that they can get more of a stretch guy down the field. He had him in crisis mode in the playoff game back in the spring. So they have a lot of options. I think they can go in a lot of directions, but they have to make sure they nail an impact player here on day two. As far as you were concerned, was Pickens a first-round talent? Absolutely. You talk about someone that loves to lay out for the football, that attacks the ball as if it's his ball and no one else's. You want someone like that. And also he takes tremendous pride in the run-blocking aspect. And he doesn't fake the funk and just gets out there and just make contact. He's trying to put the dude through the ground. You get guys like that on the perimeter, along with how aggressive he plays, he has that Dez Bryant-type mentality. And that's, to me, the type of guy you want to be your ex-receiver. Emory, are there still good corners that are available that, that the Bears could draft in the second round? Absolutely. Uh, I just mentioned one. Zion McCollum is a great one. Roger McCreary out of Auburn is another one that uh, every time you popped on his film against Alabama, which means he's against Jamison Williams and John Mechie, against Penn State, against Jihad Dotson, against uh, Georgia, against Pickens. You know, this guy is matched up against Arkansas, which means he's against Burks. So every time, every big receiver that we're, we're talking about, they played Auburn. He matched up with him, and he had their worst game. So to me, that's the guy that probably should have gone in round one. So I feel like that would be an ideal corner. He could play inside, he could play outside. So again, the Bears have options. It's a the the good thing about the draft in terms of what we where we are now, because college football has a lot of three, four, five wide receiver sets. Nickel defense is essentially your base defense. You're going to be playing a lot of corners. Safeties have to be able to cover. So these guys are coming to the NFL with a wealth of experience with time on task in terms of the routes they see, the routes they run, and you can get guys you know, deep in the draft that can step in and play right away that has a lot of you know, practical reps in doing what they're going to be asked to do at the NFL level. So, yeah, this is a very deep class and will always be that way until college football you know, reverts back to change into something else. What was your draft analysis of Justin Fields and what things did you like and dislike about year one of him as Bears QB? Fields, to me, is someone – I was a big fan of his game. He was my number two quarterback last year behind uh, Trevor Lawrence, so I thought he was going to go higher. I thought the Jets should have taken him because he is battle-tested. He played in big games and you know won some big games, had his team competing hard in the playoffs. I mean, coming off the game against Clemson, you thought, oh, this dude here. He shows you Clemson took away his one element that everyone thought he couldn't do. They took away his ability to run, and he had to stand there and just throw the football, and he beat the brakes off them basically with one arm tied behind his back because he couldn't run because of the hip. But then you look at what he did last year. He saw flashes, and I hated the approach um, that Matt Nagy went with uh, in terms of we're going to you know, bring him along slowly. We're going to start Andy Dalton. Man, you drafted this dude. You trade up to get him in the first round. Play him right away. Let him get those lumps out of his way early and stop with the pseudo-fake competition. The team knows who's better and who's ready to go. 
So I felt like because he was getting yo-yoed all throughout the process last year, showed itself when he got out there to play in the regular season. You know, it was a, a bit up and down, but you saw some flashes. But then because of the herky-jerky motion, then he got hurt. Then you, you can't run the football. You banged up. So I felt like his entire rookie season was both inconsistent and incomplete. So that's why with this new slate, you hope that they can go in, build better up front, get another weapon on the outside, go in with him being a the guy. Therefore, those flashes that we saw becomes sustained play in year two. Emery, I really appreciate you jumping on, man, whether you're you're doing stuff for CBS Sports HQ or, or breaking it all down in the, in the draft guide on footballgameplan.com. Great work. Uh, I hope we get an opportunity to talk again. Appreciate you, man. Thanks a lot for having me on. No problem. That's Emery Hunt of footballgameplan.com. Follow him on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. That's where you can find some more of his work and see some more of his breakdowns. Let me stay with the draft for a second because I had a conversation yesterday with Jason Leisure who covers the Bears. So seeing this, I, I, I love the, like, the juxtaposition of seeing it from like a draft analysis versus seeing it from a team analysis, someone who covers the team every day and is in those press conferences with Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus. When I asked Jason Leisure what the Bears' like, number one draft need was, this is what he told me. Oh, my gosh, cornerback. Cornerback, the house is on fire at cornerback. If you care at all about this season – the alarm bells are going off. That's the emergency. If you're triaging these many problems, I mean, think what a that was, that was such an indefensible plan last season to go into the season with only one cornerback that you knew was good in Jalen Johnson. And guess what? That's where they still are today. Like they haven't added anybody that changed that equation at all. That is red alert. Like they have other problems. They do. But that to me, if you care at all about anything this season, that's red alert. That is the house on fire at cornerback right there. He's not wrong. The, the way that the the Bears went out about it last year from the quarter from the cornerback spot was um, questionable, to say the least. So I agree with him that that's a position where they need to get better. They, they, but they also have to start rebuilding this offense. You want to make sure that you are moving in the right direction with. Justin Fields the other part of it is we don't truly know how they feel about Justin Fields we don't the great thing is is that he's a quarterback that has talent that is in, on a rookie deal so if you have any if you have any thought like he might be good if blank 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 and blank then you have to start doing things to prove or disprove your theory. Like, let's let's reverse it real quick. Let's say that Bears ownership, management, and the head coach, after a year, don't believe in Justin Fields. I still think that you have to put the best team around him as possible and allow him to show you where his deficiencies are. And then you have to decide if those deficiencies are something that is going to doom him to fail. Or maybe you end up going, all right, we we did we weren't as high on him as the previous administration was, but he showed us that with 
the, a proper team around him, he could be really, really good. So either way, you got to go about building around this quarterback because you're, this quarterback is yours for the, at least the next two years. And here's hoping they get him some offensive line help and a playmaker on the outside. Jason Leisure is correct when he says the house is on fire. When it comes to the cornerback spot, you got one corner. He's pretty good. I like that corner. But you got one. And you need three and probably five. But you, you, you can't go into the season without three guys that you are confident in. And the guy that's playing in the slot has to be one of the best players that you have on your defense. Especially in a 4-3 cover two. He's got to be an ass kicker. So we'll see what they do. Picks 39 and 48 as it stands right now. Who knows? Maybe they like someone and they trade up, but you never know. We're going to take a break. Get back to talking about the Bulls next here on The Score. Lawrence Holmes, noon to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score. It was really interesting to hear Cody today talk about Zach Levine kind of laying the gauntlet down as a free agent. And and I I I want to make it clear I support players getting as much money as possible. And I am here for taking every dinner and free flight and tour of a facility that Zach Levine can find during his free agency. I, I guess it is a little, it's it's a, a little shocking, I guess, because of how tight we imagine this Bulls thing to be. But yes, he should explore every possible option on finding the place where he's going to be happy to play basketball. And at the end of it, if you are someone that wants Zach Levine back on the Bulls, your hope is is in that the Bulls can pay him more money than anybody else. They can offer him a fifth year when other teams cannot do that. But if there's a basketball issue here, if there's a philosophical or basketball issue here that makes it so that Zach wants to go someplace else, I'm okay with him exploring that because I still have a lot of questions about him as a max player and if you're not watching me on twitch i am doing the air quotes right now but i i think that every client when they have an opportunity to be a free agent should look to try and leverage as much as they can to get as much as they can and that might be a little bit confusing and maybe make you a little bit sad but it is part of this process and seeing how the bulls react to it and what other teams may come to the forefront now that Zach has made it public is going to be interesting for sure. I'll talk with Spiegel and Grody next here on The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.